Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. When you have on radio, um, dead air, that's like death. Because no listener is going to stick around for more than 10 seconds while you get your act together. And it's the same thing here for a live show. I can only pray that people might be interested enough in this topic uh, after it's posted to listen on demand. So for whoever turns up for the live show tonight... I really, really thank you for sticking with me. And by the way, as always, you can subscribe to the Twitch show. You can subscribe to the podcast form of this show. And I'm guessing, given that this is a Seattle and a Seahawks-based show tonight, I think, I will end up podcasting this. So we'll see. Uh, but you can subscribe to that. Subscribe to this. I'm on YouTube. Just search my freaking name, please, if you're interested. <laughs> okay, Rashad Penny. Seahawks did not pick up his fifth-year option uh, on, on his contract, essentially. So unless he has some unbelievable year where the Seahawks end up saying to themselves, all right, well, we'll offer you a deal and we'll, we'll get in on free agency with you or with every other team for you. He's done as a Seahawk after this year. And if he plays this year, whether it's because he's healthy or because he's actually earned the spot on the team or, you know, or earned his way out of the field, I'll be pretty surprised. Okay, I'll be very surprised, but I want to deal tonight with this word. Okay, bust. Bust. What does that mean? Shortly before I came on the air tonight, I was having a uh, just a quick back and forth uh, Twitter interaction with Paul Gallant, and he said something that I think a lot of you would probably agree with. Okay, and that is the notion that a player cannot be a bust unless he does something self-inflicted. Like he doesn't try, you know, Malik McDowell. It wasn't even a question of him trying. He never even got to put on a jersey because he screwed himself up uh, riding doom buggies around or whatever that was. Okay, that pick is obviously a bust when it when it's self-inflicted and it's a consequence of no effort or just stupidity. Yeah, we're all going to agree on that. Right. It's, it's almost not debatable at that point. I have a, just a slightly broader definition of that, of the word bust. Okay. Any player who comes with expectations, be it through the draft as a high round pick or a highly paid free agent. Okay, any player who for one reason or another fails to live up to the expectations that go along with either of those two scenarios is a bust. Now, sometimes there are cases where a player will maybe not be great, but he can still contribute. You know what I mean? Like, I think about, remember Ted Ginn? He was picked in the first round. 
by the Dolphins. And a lot of people thought he was going to be just a punt returner or kick returner. And everybody was like, why the hell are you drafting a a kick returner in the first round? What are you, nuts, Cam Cameron? Now, did his career end up justifying him as a first-round pick? No, but he had a pretty good NFL career as like a third-wide receiver option on a couple of different teams. So... To call him a bust as an NFL player? No, definitely not. As a first-round pick? Eh. I mean, there was no way he was going to live up to those expectations to begin with. So I probably wouldn't use the word bust. I just wouldn't bring... When evaluating Ted Ginn's career, I wouldn't bring the um, the fact that he was a first-round pick into the conversation unless it were absolutely necessary. With Rashad Penny, you got to remember, in 2018, this was when he was picked. This was a position of need. Chris Carson was here the year before and in the first four games of the year played very well. Not out of this world well, but enough to say, oh, you know what? We may have something here in the seventh rounder. We're not sure where he's going to go, but he's at least a player on this team. We'll see how he fits in. But as of 2018, running back was a position of need. Okay? Now, When a player gets hurt with a torn ACL, as Penny did in December of 2019, not being able to come back from that, it's perfectly understandable. And forgive, it's not even a question of like forgiveness. He didn't do anything wrong. Like he hurt himself. This is the way it is. Okay, fine. But when you, when you're a team and you pick a guy in the first round or even second round and that guy does not significantly factor into your team's success or failure in any way, shape, or form for the next 18, 19, 20, for the next three years it's a mistake of the organization Okay, well, you know what? Let me, let me back that up. They couldn't have predicted that he was going to get hurt. So again, I want to go back to my previous point. It's not a question of blame and pointing the finger. Sometimes there are just circumstances. Okay, things happen. I'm not, uh, it's not about assigning blame, but with First and second round picks and with free agents that are invested into in a significant way, if they do not either get on the field or produce, I think you can use that word bust as a label for that player and his career. You know, when they say like Super Bowl or bust. If, if a team doesn't win the Super Bowl, that doesn't mean that you like you pull aside every player and say you're a failure. But if the team like in, I think of like the early 90s Pittsburgh Pirates, right? They won the division three years in a row, 90, 91, 92. In 92, 
If they didn't win the World Series that year, it was never going to happen because they were losing Bonds, Van Slyke, Drayback, all their pitchers, probably their manager in due time. If they didn't win that year, they weren't going to win forever. So it was like World Series or bust. But the fact that they didn't win that year doesn't mean that like their 98 win season or 95 win season was not uh, um, was something worth complaining about. But it was definitely bust because it's not going to happen now. It's never going to happen. It's the same thing with Penny. If he's never going to live up to that first round capability and expectation, then he's a bust. And what, what, what kind of annoys me about this is that over the last year, year and a half, You hear every excuse in the book or every hesitation from certain people who as to not as to why we shouldn't call him a bust. When you invest anything, if I invest in um, in in a company. Right. And that company's headquarters gets wiped out by a hurricane. My investment is a bust. It was an act of God or an act of (laughs) meteorology. Okay, and it's nobody's fault. But when I look back at that investment, was it a good one? Is it one that I remember favorably? No. So I want everybody to remember that although there are very famous cases of busts like Tony Mandrich or Jamarcus Russell, even going over the NBA, like an Adam Morrison, a guy like that. Some of those, like some of them, like an Adam Morrison wasn't cut out for the NBA. Okay, so that's a, that's a, not only is that a bust, that's it's a complete over-evaluation of a player. All right, Jamarcus Russell, yeah, there was some stuff off the field. He didn't really take it seriously. Tony Mandrich was a steroid monster. So, with those last two guys, they did themselves in, and you can point the finger. That's fine. But just because in the case of Penny or C.J. Procise or uh, in, in the case of free agency, Robert Gallery or Luke Jokel, those guys are busts, whether they're healthy or not. Because they did not live up to expectations. Is that a hard pill to swallow? I mean, I mean, the other argument that I get is that, well, he just hasn't had enough time on the field. Okay, well, what if he never gets on the field? I mean, would you be willing to evaluate it then? Is it like, is this just a question of you holding out hope that he might become something? Because name me the last, I don't know, three running backs who after barely playing and being drafted in the first round, after barely playing for three years, came back and managed to justify that first round pick. Name me three. A lot of you out there didn't even think that it was justifiable to pick Penny in the first round, whether he was going to be healthy or not. 
And now we have a, we have a case of a player who can't get on the field because he's hurt again. Look, I know with some guys, like maybe they don't take their rehab seriously or or whatever. I don't know that to be the case. So I'm not going to I'm not going to make that claim about the, about this player. It's not that. But at the end of the day, when it doesn't happen and a lot gets invested and expected of a player, it's okay to call it a disappointment. Like to me, disappointment and bust are kind of the same thing. Like in, in, in sports context, they're more or less synonyms. Like bust may be a, a more um, flippant way to put it. But, you know, like as Brock Heward always says, being healthy and getting on the field is just part of being an athlete. You, know, you may not be responsible for the initial injury and you may not be responsible for the degree to which that severe injury hinders you. But that doesn't take away from the from the fact that the team did still invest something. And it's a harsh world, people. I, under, I get it. It doesn't seem fair. And everything these days is about fair and feelings. Well, I've already gone so far as to not point the finger at the player himself. But that's as much compassion as I'm going to have. The Seahawks still have a business to run. And if your reason for not calling him a bust is just because you're afraid to hurt his feelings, get over yourself. He doesn't care. And the Seahawks don't care. I mean, if I'm sick, if I'm if I'm in sales and I miss a week of work or three days of work or whatever because uh, I'm ill and I miss out on a deal or I can't close it just because the other party who I'm making the deal with decides to be a, a, a bunch of pricks about it and they're unsympathetic. That may not be fair, but it still goes down in the books as something we didn't get that we thought we were going to. Now, not only has Penny <laughs> not, be, not, not lived up to uh, his first round billing, he hasn't even lived up to the idea that he should be in the NFL at all. Yeah, he's flashed some skill here and there, but there are guys who do that. As somebody points out on the chat here, Arizona, Greg, CJ Procise, same freaking thing, except he wasn't drafted in the first round. There weren't the kind of expectations for him that there were with Penny. And so the fact that he doesn't live up to billing doesn't really make a difference. Although I got to say, after what he did show on the field, it's disappointing to me, and I'm sure to him, that he didn't really have, end up having an NFL career because clearly his skills were in place. He had the tools to do it. With Penny, probably the same thing. Probably the same thing. But for one reason or another, it didn't happen. And I'm not afraid as a fan to be disappointed by that. 
I'm not intimidated by the, oh, well, you're not giving him a chance and it's not his fault, crew. It doesn't matter to me whether or not it's his fault. Objectively speaking, a first round pick that barely ever plays, that ends up like appearing in 29 games and has a significant contribution to even fewer than those is a bust. I mean, think about it. 29 games he's appeared in. Even the ones that he was uh, healthy for. It's not like he went out there and just tore it up. I mean, the aggregate. What what did Paul say here? Uh, He said. (sighs) um, I'm just going back to Paul Gallant's tweet to me because he, he brings up, I think, a point worth addressing. He said he did have 29 carries for 203 yards and two touchdowns in the two games before he uh, tore his ACL. I mean, did, was the potential there? Yeah. But, I, but as a fan and as a GM or a head coach, I mean, how great am I supposed to feel about potential? It only it just it only goes so far. And if it seems like I'm I'm a little on edge or angry about this, it's because I was made to feel on the air over the last couple of years. Okay, let me back up even further. When the the draft night 2018, I actually didn't have a problem with this pick. I'm I'm one of those people that If Pete Carroll and John Schneider know their team and know a player and know their system so well where they want to make an out-of-the-box pick, even a high one, I'm fine with that. I'm okay. Their track record of success on the field is enough for me to at least allow them that. It doesn't make them infallible. They make the wrong decisions. Schneider drafts the wrong guy. Pete makes very strange decisions on the field. It doesn't make them infallible and above critique. But when it comes to overall philosophy and all the work that goes into scouting these players, I'll abide by that. But that's fine. But, as I was getting to, over the last few years, on the air, I felt like there was this, Tom, don't call him a bust, because it's, because he's been injured, sentiment. I don't think it's fair to call him a bust yet. Like, it was almost like I was being told to not have that opinion, or at least if I did have that opinion, to be afraid to express it, or that if and if I did, that I was definitely wrong, because there's no way anybody could say that. Well, okay, what if he never gets on the field again? Would you call him a bust then? First round pick, first round running running back, never like you know ends his Seahawk career with twenty nine games appeared in. You're not willing to call that a bust? Why? Simply because it's not self inflicted. The team still lost something. They, I mean. If your guy doesn't contribute to your success in a significant way, 
John Schneider might as well just take that, might as well have just taken that 2018 first round pick and burned it. And, and like not gotten the pick in because the, the result would have been the same. I, I, I know there was one game in L.A. where Penny factored in in a major way to that win. I know one game, one freaking game. But we we have to we have to be able to I think distinguish between evaluating the situation for what it is as a disappointment, as a bust, and blaming the player. Those are two separate things. They're two separate issues. Oftentimes one leads to the other, but not always. But you can still be disappointed. You know, what, what if you're, what if one of your, what if you're a little kid and one of your parents is like a workaholic working 80 hour weeks? Oh yeah, I'll be there for your birthday. I'll be there for your birthday. I promise. I promise. I promise. And because of work, at the threat of losing their job, they just can't be there. Now, would you point the finger at them? Well, maybe on a case-by-case basis, yeah. Probably not overall, because they're working to put food on your table, to put food in your mouth. But are you allowed to be disappointed as as a son or as a daughter? Yeah. So those are two very different things. And I feel like the, oh, don't hurt Rashad Penny's feelings because any criticism of him is unfair, is unable to distinguish between those two things. And that's the result of not being able to think critically about an issue. Maybe that's the other part of what annoys me about this is because I feel like whether I'm right or wrong, I feel like I've arrived at this conclusion because I've I've really done my due diligence as far as thinking critically about this and being being careful, quite frankly, to not just wantonly insult a player unfairly. I don't want to do that. But when I say that this is a disappointment, I've <clears throat> I've given it a ton of thought and, and, and exhausted every possible way to look at it so as to not label it a disappointment. OK, I put in the time to do that, like I bothered to do that. If you're saying, well, he's injured, so he can't call it a bust. You're either parroting some, somebody else or you're just not being thoughtful about it at all. Either because you're lazy or you're incapable. Now, if you can think real hard about it and still tell me why, you, why it's, it's not justifiable to be disappointed, I'm all ears. If it's just a question of semantics between the word bust and the word disappointment, okay, that's fine too. 
I, again, I look at those two things as synonyms. Other people don't. And maybe that's because the word bust has been applied to players who sabotage their own careers. But again, when the result is the same, I know that there are different reasons for that, for the failure, but it is still a failure. Not a failure of effort in the case of Benny. I feel like I've said that six times now, but there's a reason why I'm doing that. It's because some, some idiot is going to hear me say this and say, Tom Wassel blames Rashad Penny for injuries. And I, 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 now that I've said that, I've, I've been as clear as I possibly can about this. If you don't understand that, then you don't understand English. Another good point. I mean, how can you even have an expectation of a guy who you you forgets on the team occasionally? Arizona Greg ninety eight two nine six. Welcome while contemplating the uh, the upcoming season. I did not even think about Penny for a second. I forgot he was on the team. A, a first round pick you forget is on the team. You, you're not willing to call that a bust. Or, a, or at the very least, a disappointment. Again, when you, there are times to be considerate of, of, a, of an athlete's feelings, even though I don't think they give a damn about like what I think or what you think. So for you to say, oh, we have to be sensitive to his feelings, I think you're overvaluing the weight of your words, okay? They don't care. But even if that is the case, I'm never going to mischaracterize reality in favor of how somebody feels. Because the reality is, I know it's not over, over, over yet, but with Rashad Penny, I'm going to give it a 90% chance, 90, that he is not an impact player in any way, shape, or form in this league. Not because he doesn't have the skills or the dedication, but because injuries have just taken their toll. I'm just going to, and if I'm wrong about that, I will come on here with the same emotion right now and beg for forgiveness because I misevaluated it. But I'm not, I'm not going to say, well, it's not really a disappointment because of this and this and this and this. <sighs> this kind of goes back in a way to a conversation. Actually, it was a solo show I did. Maybe maybe a month ago, like before Deshaun Watson was accused of any sexual misconduct, he was really holding up the, the Texans say, oh, I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. And, and I, it seemed almost like it had become taboo to criticize athletes for any reason. Uh, 
I mean, some of them make it very easy to do that when they hit a woman or they get or you're Alden Smith and you get arrested for like the 10th time. But just based on my experience in radio as a person whose job it is to to give opinion publicly, I've experienced pushback when going when criticizing an athlete for something that they say or do or or whatever because it's like there's always an excuse and i just i just never however flimsy and i just never understood that like whether there was an excuse or not sometimes my colleagues, and I don't mean at 710 specifically, I mean across the media, instead of offering an excuse for, for an athlete's behavior or something they said, they just wouldn't touch it. Like, I can't tell you how many prep, how many um, prep meetings, like before a show, pre-show meeting I've been in where an athlete says or does something and one of my co-hosts or producer or whatever says, nah, I don't, don't want to go there. And I knew what the reason why was because they don't want to come off as somebody who's critical of a young of a young man. Is that a plane out there? Hold on. I live right by Lake Washington and I get those like um, those water taxis coming in and out of Tenmore Airport all day. Sorry about that. Anyway, okay. I think I've I've said I've made my point on that, but if you guys want to respond, um Feel free to like if you have a if you have a counter argument to that, you know I'm I'm all ears. I'm going to skip ahead to item number four here. If I were to ask, and I'm, I probably have asked this before on Twitter. How many of you think that Pete Carroll and John Schneider are good drafters? I don't know what answer I would get, but I'm guessing it's not like most of you would characterize their drafts as like A-grade drafts. Because they've had a lot of misses. Not, I mean, early on, yeah, they found diamonds in the rough. Richard Sherman switched positions. They got Earl Thomas. Russell Wilson, certainly. They get credit for that. A lot of misses, though. But at the same time, and they've also missed on free agents. Jimmy Graham was not a, a great fit here. Turned in good numbers, so I, I wouldn't call that a miss. But, you know, I, I mentioned Luke Jokel before. Robert Gallery. Uh, I mean, take your pick of offensive linemen. And yet they've still had so much success. I mean, how 
How are teams built? They're built through the draft, and they're built through free agency. So if you don't think that they're good drafters, does that mean that you think that John Schneider is not a good GM? Because I bet you if I were to ask the question that way, if I were to say, how many of you or or what grade would you give John Schneider as a GM? The percentage toward the A grade would be a lot higher. So if you don't think he's a good drafter, then what is it that you think he's doing that makes up for that? Because if you if you go back and look. If you go back and look, the free agents that they brought in here have had, I would almost say, a lesser impact on the team's success overall than the guys they've drafted. Yes, there was Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill. I'm not going to count Marshawn Lynch because he was in a trade, and I that was... Was that before... Schneider got here. I think it was. But even after the initial run of success, the Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas era, they still managed to turn out really competitive seasons. And not just because of Russell Wilson. I mean, Frank Clark, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it would be fair to underestimate what he brought to the table when he was here. Or that Bobby Wagner has been great for a long time. Or that K.J. Wright has been great for a long time. Or that a guy like David Moore, a, a seventh-round pick, turned into something. Something worth, something that the Carolina Panthers thought was worth paying for. So if you, if you think that, I guess what I'm driving at is, and this is something I talked to with my buddy Abraham on the, on the show the other night about, like grading drafts, when, when they don't appear to have yielded much, but don't lead to losing either, then does that mean that we're just, we may be looking at the the overall success or failure of the draft as the wrong way? I mean, if, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, Quentin Jefferson, would he be, now? that's not a, Cassius Marsh. How about, I'll use this as as an example. If you're going back, when was he drafted? Like 2016? 14, whatever it is. If you're going back and evaluating the draft that he was a part of, and he is one of the reasons why you would not characterize it as a successful draft, yet in certain games, he contributes enough where he actually leads to win or helps a team win. I think that makes you a success as a GM. Even if the players that you draft in in a particular year don't all turn out to be like distinguished 
players or with distinguished careers. Because just just because you're not a pro bowler or even like a notch below that, it doesn't mean that you don't consistently contribute to your team winning in a smaller way. Like, are you good in the locker room? Do you know your assignments? Are you, you know, are you, are you a mentor? Do you, do you listen to other, do, do you listen to veterans? Are you, are you a coachable player? Like, even if you don't have the skills that would turn you into the type of player where we go back and look at draft and we say, good player, bad player, good player, bad player. Even if you're not that, I think the GM still deserves credit for drafting a lesser player that that either on his own or in concert with other players contributes to your success. I mean, in, in football, it's even more tricky than it is in like in, in baseball, because a baseball player, yeah, you've got different skills, but every player, except for the DH and the pitcher, every player plays defense. It's every player's job at different points on the field to take a glove and to field the ball and to throw the ball. It's every player's job to hit at some level with varying expectations. But in football, the quarterback's job is different than the offensive lineman's job, is different than the running back's job, is different from the linebacker's job, the defensive tackle. Like, all of these guys play the same sport, but they have such different um, requirements and skills that help them achieve those things. So, it's in that sense... It's more difficult to point to what one guy does unless he completely takes over a game and says that guy is responsible for our success or was responsible for our success today. Like we all know Bobby Wagner is a great player. But and that may be easy to define over the long haul, both through consistency and numbers. But sometimes when you're watching the game, just by virtue of the fact that the camera doesn't follow the linebacker around, sometimes it's tough to know where he affected a play if he wasn't necessarily right where the ball was. I mean, there are games where Bobby is in the backfield, harassing the quarterback. There are other days where he's chasing the ball carrier and limiting yardage. There are other days where he might not be right on the ball, but because of his ability to both mentor, coach the players around him and to fulfill his duties elsewhere to make sure that the ball doesn't go where he might be, he's contributing to wins. But it's tough to say definitively that that's the case in the moment. If a general manager can identify players of limited skill that can do all of those things that lead to wins, 
I think he should get credit as a as a good GM for being able to do that. Even if we academically go back in time and look at the drafts and just say good player, bad player, good player, bad player. Again, critical thinking. It's more. That's why I, I can't, you know. Not only can I not read any article online that's that's, lay, that's titled draft grades, I almost can't even bring myself to criticize them anymore because that's how worthless I think they are, especially before anybody's taken the field. Okay, that, that to me is just a pointless endeavor that, that doesn't even have the same entertainment value of me watching paint dry. But when we go back after the fact, like a few years later, even then, retroactively grading a draft, like if your point is that this draft didn't yield pro bowlers or impact players and you define it as a bad draft, which the GM in turn needs to be held accountable for. I think that that's, again, it's a superficial way of looking at something that has so many more factors than that to it. And and, and the, um, the extent to which they play out on the field toward your success or failure. Now, look, if a team doesn't win and a GM is uh, drafted good players, maybe, I mean, who knows what leads to the losing there? Maybe it's they didn't draft the right combination of players, personalities. Maybe the coach is an idiot. I don't know. But eventually the GM will be held responsible for that, too. I mean, I always think it's so funny. Like, I remember a couple of years ago, it was the All-Star game. And the Cincinnati Reds had like a whole bunch of players in the game. Not like not like 2001 Mariners, but they had a handful of like good players like Todd Frazier. I think Jay Bruce might have been in there. Maybe even God, was Chapman there now. Maybe it was after that. Um, but the, the big topic that night with the Reds was, oh, well, they're going to be selling off a lot of these players and all these players are great. Well, if their players are so great, how come they're not winning? I mean, you're telling me that this team isn't winning, but the GM's doing a great job. Like, I'm not sure what case you're trying to make there. And I'm not sure what case you're trying to make when you go back two or three years later. And and by the way, I'm semi guilty of this myself because on, on the show on Sunday night, Abraham and I, to make a different point, went back through a couple of drafts and said, "Okay, well, how did this one work out? How did it not? But my my question now is, if you think he's a if you think John Schneider's a bad drafter, or an or just like a, an okay mediocre drafter, but you think he's a good GM worthy of being here, well, what's the good that he's doing? Because th- the point I'm making with respect to that is that even if you grade his drafts as a C or a D or a B minus. A, I think that that's a callous way to to evaluate it. 
And B, if the players that he drafts collectively, maybe not individually all the time, but collectively help you win games, you've done your job. Maybe even in, maybe, and again, maybe they're helping you win games in ways that aren't even necessarily quantifiable. Maybe if you dug a little deeper, you could, but most people don't bother to do that. They don't have the time, but they do have the time to go through and, and do a, a, a mock draft and then a, a draft grade before anybody's ever, ever even played. Like what, like what the hell are you, you know, I'm not going to even go there. I'm not going to, that's, it's pointless. I'm not going to do that. Make myself all upset. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Sorry, but, you know, I'm not sorry, actually. I'm not, I'm not really apologizing for anything, but this show tonight, here's what it is, okay? The fact that tonight's show began with me... Um, having audio issues and I thought I was on the air for like two minutes talking and, do, and starting the show before a couple of you pointed out that there was no audio kind of irritated me a little bit I don't know how much different the show would have sounded on these particular topics <laughs> if, um, if everything technologically had been working like it should but that kind of threw me off a little bit and it, it, it took me into a zone, a, a mental zone, where that, by which all these topics had to be filtered. So, but I, again, I think that it's important because you know, as much as I discount draft grade, you know, authors or whatever, I have to accept the fact that repetition in our culture, repetition of action, repetition of idea, oftentimes is accepted over fact in terms of defining reality. Like, I can make the case to you logically. I feel like I, I may have just now, hopefully. I can make a case to you logically that a, a draft grade piece written right after the draft before anybody's played is a pointless endeavor. And you may even understand what I'm saying, but because that, that, um, that ritual of, of writing these pieces and grading drafts is repeated so often every year by so many people. We just we come to accept it as part of the yearly NFL narrative. And, and in that sense, it carries value. It's like whether or not you value it, it's almost like we're all forced to account for them. Like, and I'm talking about, you know, you're a, you're a pretty big NFL fan if you're reading through all these draft grade pieces. You know, I mean, the, the real casual person may not bother with it. In fact, the real casual fan may tune in for the draft, but may not give a rip about anything else involving the offseason. But if you're, you know, more into it than that, like I am, obviously, and my colleagues are, fighting against that ritual 
is harder than just accepting it as carrying value because to accept it as carrying value doesn't require any effort fighting against it does or not fighting against it but like deconstructing it and assessing it honestly that's what i'm doing i'm trying to give you an honest assessment of a practice that i think is a a low yielding operation and doesn't tend to carry much information of value maybe other than just familiarizing yourself with some of the names involved because a lot of us don't know that you know a lot about the guys a lot of the names that were just picked so to commit them to memory it's almost like the more you read about them in articles in any sense the more you're going to become familiar with them so i guess it serves that purpose but everything else as far as the way players are evaluated characterized um commented on as far as the way they will or will not factor in 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 the coming year or years into a scheme i i'm not even sure what what's an appropriate comparison or analogy for that i mean would it be like would it be like uh, like starting a business and hiring a whole group of people based on whatever you know criteria and then having somebody from the outside who knows a little bit about business and maybe a little bit about about hiring and maybe even a little bit about those people would it be like them telling you how all this is going to work within the walls of your office before any of them have ever even been together or or performed at the professional level you know that maybe that'd be a better comparison it's a it's almost like forecasting how a college kid who just graduated who may contain certain skills is going to do in the workforce now iq may be a pretty good predictor of a, a group of people's success in life but it it doesn't tell the whole story, A, eh? and most people aren't like super smart. So in evaluating everybody else and forecasting how they will or won't do in the workforce is just weird. It's weird. Oh, this guy was a business major. He got straight A's all through college. How do you know how he's going to be able to, I don't know, deal with his colleagues? Is he going to have a happy, um, you know, home life? Might that affect him? Is he, is he in the right, maybe right industry, wrong company? Is he in the right uh, part, you know, part of the country? Like, or she, like there, there's so many, there's so many factors. Like even with the guys who are um, labeled as can't miss, there's so many factors that go into whether or not they actually do have success that to, to take it upon yourself to evaluate the situation ahead of time and say what is and what isn't good. I mean, you must, you must be really great gamblers if you think you can do that. If you think you can prognosticate the future that well, 
and you know these players that well and how it's all going to work out, you guys must be betting NFL games left and right. Because you know, you know ahead of time it's going to work out or not work out. Or do you? <laughs> I know some of the reaction I'll probably get. Well, Thomas, just for fun. Yeah. I mean, sport, you know, sports is entertainment. But, you know, even with entertainment, like whether or not I'm watching a sporting event or, you know, Family Guy or it it needs to it needs to engage me to the point and, and be enriching enough where I'm willing to spend my time with it. And in this industry, we're to the point where even the people who aren't interested. In, in reading this stuff and wasting their own time with it are in a sense required to address what a, you know, what a draft evaluator says. You know, so we're talking about, you know, me and whoever, we're talking about the Seahawks draft. You know, we're talking back and forth. But, and then my co-host says to me, well, Todd McShay says this. And, uh, you know, Bucky Brooks just told me, just, you know, did you read his draft grades? Like, when that happens, it's like you're forcing me to account for something and assign value to something that I think has none. And, and that that I don't appreciate because it's not on me it's not incumbent upon me to tell you why it lacks value it's incumbent on the person doing the job writing the article to tell me it indicates somehow why it's worthwhile to do it. And certainly why it's worthwhile that that I know what's going on in the industry. Didn't you read what Todd McShay said? Like just that question somehow implies that like I'm del I'm delinquent because I didn't familiarize myself with this person's evaluation. And that's just not, that's backwards. If you think that you've read something somewhere that brings value to the table, and you say, you know what, this is a good assessment, and, I, and, I, and I'll give you reasons one, two, three, I'm at, bring it in, great. But you're the one who has to justify that. It's not, it's not, um, the onus is not on me to tell you why it shouldn't be part of the conversation. But unfortunately, the situation being what it is, that's what I'm spending my time doing. 
And maybe you could say, well, you know what? By deconstructing this stuff and by investing the kind of time even to figure out that it isn't worthwhile, that I've learned something. I've learned something about the industry and I've learned something about myself. Yeah, that's true. But I've known this for like 15 years. I mean, how much how much more of that kind of work do I have to do? I mean, that, that point's been made. <laughs> Child. What? To ensure that I'm, I can play audio on the uh, on the way out here. What? Hey, Charlie. Charlie just busted her way in here. Oh, let's see. I'm going to reload something. And I'm going to attempt to play music. Great response, by the way, on the podcast and the and the, the downloads, the subscriptions. You only have to subscribe once, by the way, if you're on Apple, Spotify, whatever it is. Subscribe once and the episodes will automatically uh, you know, load on your phone or whatever. If you're not somebody who's like used to podcasting, I didn't really get into podcasts as a as a um a hobby or a habit until maybe a year, year and a half ago. And, you know, it was a, a couple of mechanical things to learn there, but it's, it's, they, it couldn't be easier. <laughs> it really couldn't. So, you know, again, thank you so, so much to all of you who have taken the time uh, to do that. Thanks for the subscriptions, etc., etc. All right. I'm not sure what, what's tonight, Tuesday. I'll probably be back on Thursday. We'll see what else has developed. I didn't get to the DK Metcalf story tonight. That was just kind of like, you know, in case, uh, in case I ran out of material. It turns out I didn't. But thanks for joining me. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.